This is the Education Exchange with Paul Peterson. I am the senior editor at Education Next. Thank you for joining us. Wisconsin prides itself on its public schools. The University of Wisconsin is one of the great state universities in the United States, and public schools have always been well-funded in Wisconsin as compared to other parts of the country. But in 2009, just before Republican Governor Scott Walker took office, its schools were not living up to its historic reputation. Though eighth grade performance was somewhat above the national average, Wisconsin was doing only one point better than Texas, a state often treated as the educational backwater by the mainstream press. And when you break scores out by racial background, Wisconsin looks even worse. Its eighth grade white students scored seven points better than the white students in the state of Texas back in 2009. But Hispanic scores were about the same despite major migration across the Rio Grande. And black scores were no less than 23 points below those in Texas. Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker blamed all of this on the teachers union. He was cognizant of the fact that it was the first state to allow collective bargaining in the public sector and its collective bargaining allowed teacher unions to bargain on a wide range of financial and policy questions. But after a battle of historic proportions, a Republican legislature with the full backing of Scott Walker enacted sweeping legislation that limited teacher union power. They could no longer bargain over pensions and medical insurance and their right to bargain over salaries was restricted to determining the overall amount overall amount to be paid to teachers, not specific salary schedules. So this was a big change. And then the union was further limited in that it could no longer uh, get a deduction from the paycheck of teachers without the teachers specifically uh, approving that. But has this really changed anything in Wisconsin, or is it pretty much the same despite this, this piece of legislation? That's the question that a lot of people would like to know the answer to, and there's been a lot of debate about. And that's the question that Barbara Biazzi has investigated in an important new paper just released on the Education Next website entitled Wisconsin's Act 10 Flexible Pay and the Impact on Teacher Labor Markets. So I'm very pleased to have Barbara Biazzi, a professor at Yale University, with me today on the Education Exchange. Thank you, Barbara, for joining me. Thank you, Paul, for the invitation. So, Barbara, what actually happened in terms of student performance when school districts took advantage of Act 10 and introduced this new flexible salary schedule? Were, were the, it was the new way of paying teachers yielding benefits for students. So um, the short answer to this is that it depends on which students we're talking about. And in fact, one thing that I highlight in my research is that different districts took advantage of this um, new reform regime and the flexibility um, that, uh, that the reform was given them in different ways. There's districts that even though they were not you know, compelled to use a salary schedule um, anymore, uh, continue to use it even after 2011, and districts that instead got rid of a salary schedule and decided to um, start adjusting the pay of teachers on an individual basis. And so this latter group actually saw an increase in student test scores compared to the other group. 
So if we look at the difference between uh, school districts who took advantage of pay flexibility and districts who didn't, we see uh, basically almost no differences prior to Act 10, and then uh, about a 5% of a standard deviation uh, relative increase uh, um, in the years following Act 10, which is not a big difference, uh, but it's on nothing. You're saying 5% of a standard deviation improvement exactly. in those districts that actually took advantage of the opportunity to change the salary schedule and, and, and introduce some flexibility in it, to move away from the standard salary schedule where everybody you know, gets the same amount of pay depending on their educational qualifications and their number of years of teaching. No matter how good a teacher you are, you get the same, same pay. That's the inflexible salary schedule of the past. And that's what that's Act right. 10 uh, sort of said, well, union bargaining can no longer enforce that salary schedule. And so if you want to pay your teachers more flexibly, you can. And when you see that the district does do that, you see that kids learn about 5% of a standard deviation better. And yeah, I agree with you. That's not a massive change, but it's, it's uh, you know, there's very few education reforms that get uh, more than a 5% that's of standard true. deviation. That's true. So it's, it, That's fine. It sort of uh, says it's it's better than nothing. So what did the the flexible pay was that basically to to reward teachers on the basis of their uh, uh, student performance or their evaluations by the school district or how how what did they do when they went to flexible pay? So that's also a question that I uh, examined directly using the data um, in my research. And, and I did that because I tried to understand what districts were doing by just looking at employee handbooks, which are just documents that districts uh, post on their website to sort of describe a number of policies related to um, teachers. And I couldn't find anything. So even districts that, um, or particularly districts that got rid of a salary schedule after Act 10, they use very sort of generic language to describe how pay was going to be set after the reform. Um, but then, you know, when I turned to the data, what I found is that after Act 10, districts that eliminated the salary schedule started paying uh, a little bit more those teachers that are better from the standpoint of increasing student test scores. Think about, you know, value added. And something that I should mention um, in this is that uh, the, the value added measures that I use is something that I estimate. It's not, as far as I understand, um, something that is available to uh, principals or administrators in Wisconsin. So, what this result is telling us is that these administrators are, you know, able to identify who um, the teachers what better at improving student achievement are. And when given the opportunity of doing this, um, they they chose to. To pay those teachers more. So this is a little bit of a compliment to to principals and and school administrators that exactly. if they're allowed to be more flexible in uh, their compensation scheme, uh, it actually turns out to work out uh, somewhat better for uh, for the for the students overall on average. Now, how about black students? The, the, one of my great concerns in Wisconsin is how much the black students are lagging behind other students in Wisconsin. Is there any any hint in your data as to uh, what the effect of the flexible uh, salary schedule was on black students? So this is a very um, interesting question. It's not specifically something I look at in the paper, 
Um, and the reason for this is that the majority of Black students in Wisconsin are uh, located in the school district of Milwaukee, which is a school district that remained with the salary schedule after Act 10. So in a sense, I couldn't perform a statistical test of the impact of pay flexibility only for Black students because I don't have enough Black students who were exposed to flexible pay uh, for their teachers. But if you think, if you take what I just said, uh, sort of faith value, um, Black students were among the students who ended up being hurt uh, by the reform. So that, uh, that's a possibility now. Uh, now, the, uh, one of the things that I found interesting about your paper was that uh, a lot of teachers left the teaching profession after the passage of Act 10. This was a very controversial piece of legislation. The teacher union campaigned against it. There were marches on uh, the state capitol. A lot of teachers got engaged. And then after the law was enacted, a lot of teachers uh, who were receiving um, or who were entitled to pensions, they had reached the age of 55 when you can get a pension in Wisconsin that's pretty pretty much your full pension, um, that that they uh, there's a there was an increase in the in the percentage of them that that went into retirement. That did I read your paper correct? Yeah, that's true. Um, the uh, share of teachers aged 55 and above who exited public schools in Wisconsin after Act 10, and in fact immediately following Act 10, uh, more than doubled. Um, so what this means is that teachers were retiring essentially in bulk. And something that I want to clarify is that. Teachers who retire at age 55, no matter um, their years of experience, years of seniority, do not get the full pension. Teachers get start getting the full pension at age 57 if they have worked for, for at least uh, 30 years, which is a, a long time. And um, otherwise, they most of them would reach uh, the full pension if they retire by age 60. So a lot of these people were deciding to leave even though they were not gonna get the full pension benefits. But it did increase by quite an amount after Act 10 as compared to what it had been before. Yes, it did. It did. So now a lot of people wonder about whether or not uh, that's a good thing or a bad thing. So you might say the school system is losing its most experienced teachers, but you might also say the school system is probably losing teachers whose enthusiasm for teaching may have declined. There's a, you know, the data is mixed out there. Some data show that you get steady improvement by experience for the first five years, maybe a little longer, but after a while, um, the, the more a teacher is teaching, the, the, the less, the, there's no big sign of improvement there. So maybe this was a pretty good thing that you got an increase in retirement. Yeah, so this seems to be the case. Um, and another thing that uh, comes out of, of, of the data is the fact that um, the teachers who decided to leave after Act 10, on average, were teachers that were, um, in a sense, a little bit less effective in improving student achievement compared to the ones that decided to stay. So there, there was also a selection along that margin. So I would say that on net, um, it was not necessarily a bad thing, at least from the perspective of the students, um, that we saw uh, such a big increase in exit. Now, um, there's, of course, nuances. Uh, there were districts that, after the reform, had a hard time um, filling uh, staffing teaching positions. Uh, but I think, on average, um, this 
net influx of less effective teachers uh, was probably a good thing for the students. Now, you found some differences by gender, and uh, is, how, what percentage of the teachers in your study uh, were uh, were women as compared to men? Do you have a do you have an idea? Because most of you know, I think it's something like seventy five percent of the teachers in that's the United right. States are female. Is that what it is in Wisconsin too? About yes, that's exactly what it is. There's some differences between uh, uh, elementary, middle schools, and then high schools. In elementary schools, uh, about eighty percent of teachers are women. In high school, is about sixty percent. On average, it's seventy five percent. So when you see that uh, very high percentage of, of women and then you look at what you're finding is you found out that the men teachers actually did a little better when the flexible salary went in relative to the female teachers. So can you uh, tell your our audience about that? Yeah, so that's precisely uh, what we found. So we, um, we exploited the fact um, or sort of a dimension of the re reform, which we haven't really uh, talked about, which is the fact that um, the reform sort of went into effect um, at different points in time in different districts, depending on the date of expiration of the district's pre-existing collective bargaining agreement, uh, which uh, remained valid until, until the expiration. And so what we do is we look at what happened to re the relative pay of women compared to observationally equivalent men. What this means in practice is that we're gonna be comparing a woman with uh, 10 years of experience working in the school district of Madison with a man with, this, with also exactly 10 years of experience also working in the school district of Madison. Um, and we're going to compare the, the evolution of their pay after the collective bargaining agreement of their district expires, and so flexible pay can uh, sort of kick in. And what we found is that women tend to earn less uh, than comparable men after the reform. And we think that this uh, might have occurred because the introduction of flexible pay opens up the possibility for workers to negotiate their pay with their employer, in this case, the school district. And we know from a literature in both economics as well as uh, social psychology that women tend to do a little bit worse than men in contexts where they, they have to bargain. They typically don't like bargaining, they try to avoid it when they can, um, and when they're forced to do so, they tend to um, uh, be sort of outperformed by, by men. So this is what we find. So that's an interesting finding, and it does sound there are questions about equity there, but you could look at it as a sort of an affirmative action thing, too, because there's such a shortage of men in teaching, and maybe it's a better thing for the for for the school system to ha keep their male teachers and to compensate them at a little higher rate in order to in order to 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 attract them. Is that is that a possibility? So it is a possibility, and it's um it's an idea or a, a hypothesis that we also tried to test with our data. Um, it's not easy to do so, admittedly, um, because basically you don't have any school district in Wisconsin where men are not the minority. But we tried to see, for example, if the gender gap. This is how we usually refer to um uh, to the. Uh, difference between the pay of women and, and men, whether the gender gap was larger in districts or in schools that had previously 
uh, lost a lot of male teachers because they had exited for whatever reason, or in schools that enroll a larger portion of students who are boys, who you know might be in uh, more pressing need of, of male teachers, uh, because we know there are in, sometimes interactions uh, between the gender of the student and the gender of the teacher in terms of how well teaching and learning works. Um, and what we see is that in this context, context where presumably the demand for male teachers is, is stronger, we see a larger gender gap, but at the same time, we also see a gender gap in uh, places where this is not the case. Again, we don't have any school or any district where men are not the, um, the minority. So we can't look at what would have happened if such schools or districts would have existed. Um, but um, you know, this is basically what we see in the data. We see that demand for men who are a sort of scarce resource in public schools could be driving part of this gender gaps, but we don't think it's a full story. But it could be. I mean, when you see that the men have a little more bargaining power, or more willing, they may be more willing to bargain, but it might also be that the school system feels like, you know, that's where the shortage is at our school system. We don't, we, 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 we it would be good if we had more male teachers to get a better balance, to balance out what the gender distribution is among the students. As I said, this is um, definitely a possibility and could explain part of our results. But as I said, I don't think this is the full story. And the reason why I don't think this is the full story is that in order to better understand what was going on in reality, we surveyed teachers in Wisconsin. We sent them uh, an invitation to complete the survey uh, via email. Um, and we asked them a number of questions related to their um, negotiating experience with their current or past employer and also their intention to negotiate in the future. And what we found is that women are significantly less likely than men to um, negotiate at any point in time, either in the past or in the future. And we also asked uh, the people that told us that they had never negotiated in the past why they chose not to negotiate. And the answer where we see the largest difference between men and women is, I did not feel comfortable negotiating. So this is basically telling us that an important aspect when thinking about what men and women can achieve in terms of pay under a flexible pay regime um, has to do with the way that people uh, feel in a negotiation. And even more importantly, perhaps, uh, something that we see both in the administrative data when we look at uh, pays and in uh, the survey data when we look at people's negotiating experiences is that gaps, differences between men and women, both in terms of pay and negotiating behavior, only occur in districts that are run by male superintendents or schools that are run by male principals, which again indicates that, that there is something about having to negotiate, and in particular, having to negotiate with a counterpart that is a man um, that discourages women from asking for, for higher pay, which we don't think it's necessarily linked to, uh, you know, a higher demand for men. Well, moving to the larger picture, when I uh, looked at the 2022 data for Wisconsin and Texas, uh, I, I, I noticed that Wisconsin in 2022 looked a lot like it looked back in 2009 before this reform. It was doing a little bit better than the national average 
Uh, white students were doing a little bit better than those in Texas. Hispanic students were doing about the same in Wisconsin and Texas, despite the migration that was continuing across the border. And black students in Wisconsin were still doing 23 points worse in math achievement uh, in Texas. So I just sort of thought to myself, you know, there was so much controversy. The, uh, the conservatives uh, felt like this was the reform which could really change education. The liberals thought this was the most disastrous thing that could happen. It was just uh, worth having an enormous battle over with. Both sides were totally convinced. But afterwards, 10 years later or so, you don't see that much difference in what really is happening in terms of student performance. What do you think is the reason why so much noise and, you know, sound and fury, right? This is, it seems to be sound and fury signifying nothing. What do you, why do you think that is? Um, so that's a difficult question. Um, I think it could um, have to do with the fact that, as I talked about at the beginning, this was a reform that ended up uh, benefiting some students at the expense of others. And so it could be that because the majority of students in Wisconsin are white, um, by just looking at the average, you're actually, um, you know, looking, averaging across a pool of people who are doing very differently. Um, and also re regarding uh, black students. Yeah, but they um, don't seem to be doing any better. I mean, the white students in Wisconsin aren't doing much better in 2022 than they were in 2009 compared to other students across the country. You don't see anything special happening to white students in Wisconsin. So not at all convinced that they got their big benefit from this. Yeah, I'm not saying that the white students benefited. I'm saying some white students might have benefited, some white students might have uh, been hurt. So if you look at the average, you might not see a difference. So, which is, I think, what, uh, what has happened. There were implications in terms of um, inequality that uh, just by looking so at the So it probably would have been, been a different story if all the school districts had implemented the flexible pay plan. It, 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 another message that is in there is that you show the, the districts that really do something about it, take advantage yeah. of the opportunity given to them by the state legislation that actually they get something for their students, but those school boards that are unwilling to make changes in the way they do business they 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 actually suffer. Exactly. So that's I think uh, what might have been uh, going on. Now there is a uh, there is something important to keep in mind, which is the fact that um, you know if some districts decide to take advantage of the reform and some districts decide not to take advantage of the reform, and everybody stays in their position over time, say over the time span of, of ten or or eleven years. Um, then you're going to have some movements, movements across these two groups of districts, but then these movements, at some point, they're going to stop. And what's going to really matter is uh, which teachers are coming in and which teachers are exiting at any point in time. And I think we have now looked at which teachers are exiting. We've looked at which teachers were moving across districts. Something we haven't really looked at, or um, I should say, some, some people have tried to look at, but it's, it's a difficult question to answer empirically, is which teachers are coming in. So uh, kind of looking at the new teachers and trying to understand whether they're substantially different from the people who were uh, being recruited into the teaching profession prior to the reform. 
Um, and the reason why this is difficult to answer is that we, we actually don't know very much about this uh, novice teachers when they come into the schools. We can't quite tell uh, who are the good ones and who are not. We have to wait and, and, and see them. Yeah. Yes. Now, that question was, was looked at in uh, the Washington, D.C., where the reform exactly. impacted the whole district. And they actually did see quite a change in the composition yeah. of the teaching profession. So yeah. it would be great yeah. if one could explore that. So thank you very much, Barbara. This is a fascinating uh, study that you have uh, produced here. And it uh, sheds a lot of light on the, on the reform movement and what impact it has on teachers, what impact it has on students. So thank you very much for joining me on the Education Exchange. Thank you again for inviting me. I've been speaking with Professor Barbara Biazzi, a professor at Yale University and author of a just-released article in Education Next entitled Wisconsin's Act 10, Flexible Pay and the Impact on Teacher Labor Markets. This is the Education Exchange. I am Paul Peterson. Please join me every Monday when another Education Exchange podcast will be released on the Education Next website.